0: Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, a very warm welcome to this seminar, which is on the subject of how can a good God allow suffering. I'm sure you can appreciate that I'm really grateful to you for coming to us a, a topic, a topic like this, a, s- a seminar on this subject. It's a difficult thing for me to speak about. It's a difficult thing for you to listen to. So, if you're not going to be part of this seminar, Perhaps out of respect for our subject matter, perhaps you could quietly make your way uh, to wherever you're going to a seminar or wherever you'd like to go. Uh, If you could do that quietly now, I think uh, we'd really appreciate that. Thank you so much. For those of you who don't know, uh, my name's Adrian Holloway, and I'm based at Everyday Church in Wimbledon with my wife and my four children. And uh, my role is to travel around the UK uh, talking to people who wouldn't normally go to church uh, about some of the objections that people have to Christianity. And this, I think, probably over the years, over my lifetime, has been the number one uh, biggest objection to the Christian faith so let's get underway this morning the format will be I will speak for about 25 minutes so most of the next hour it'll be you speaking I'll speak for 25 minutes and I'll stop and I'll invite you to come and stand at this red microphone to my right and this yellow microphone to my left please ask any question you may have I'd love to take loads of questions even if I can't answer them all or even some of them I'd love to hear what you have to say okay should we bring our conversations to a close please and let's get underway. How can a good God allow suffering? Let's imagine that there's a great tragedy in my family tomorrow. If so, I'm sure I will be asking, How can a good God allow suffering? And the person who I ask, they won't know any more than I know why tragedy has suddenly struck the Holloway family now our response if we're trying to answer this question how could a good God allow suffering how we respond is going to depend upon who is asking if somebody is asking us how can a good God allow suffering because a relative or a close family friend of theirs has recently died, I suggest that we don't try a neat, tidy answer. I would expect that person to be angry. In those circumstances, the Bible tells us to mourn with those who mourn. That's Romans 12, verse 15. We will feel some of their pain, and we will mourn with them. And that's it. The last thing they want is someone attempting a quick or clever explanation. As if we think that words will somehow make their pain go away. You know the Coldplay song, I will try to fix you. The last thing that person wants is us attempting a quick fix. If I am in pain, I want you to be there for me. If I'm in pain, I want someone to cry with. I want somebody to grieve with. And I want to encourage you that according to the Bible, it is actually okay to directly ask God why he is allowing suffering. Many of the Psalms in the Old Testament part of the Bible are all about this question, there are Psalms that start, how long, O Lord? Or other Psalms say, why me, O Lord? Or other Psalms, they say, how long are you going to let this carry on, O Lord? Or other Psalms say, God, why don't you try and do something to stop this suffering, O Lord? But it's not simply recently bereaved people who ask this question. What about the typical British teenager? For the purposes of this talk, let's think about the thousands of people who ask this question not because they themselves are suffering right at this particular moment, but they're asking this question because for them it is a genuine barrier towards their progress, towards faith in a good God. In that case the person we're talking to may genuinely want us to give some kind of Christian explanation for how on earth a good God could allow suffering. But let us be realistic. At the end of this talk, in about 22 minutes time, when we finish looking at a Christian response to this question, you won't think, oh great, that's all sorted then. All the loose ends are all tied up. Let's all go and have lunch. No. Suffering is a huge problem. So how can a good God allow suffering? Perhaps we are asking this question because for many of us, the fact of suffering makes us reluctant to trust the God of the Bible. In a nutshell, our question is something like this. Surely, if God is all good then he would want to prevent suffering. And if God is all-powerful, he would be able to stop suffering. So seeing as suffering exists, how can an all-good, all-powerful, all-loving God exist? I'd like to look briefly at four perspectives on suffering. In no particular order. The first of them is this free will. Why does God allow suffering? Well, this question presupposes that God exists. What do we suggest that this God should do? Perhaps we think that God should have gone for option A and created nothing at all. This is the ultimate low-risk option. There is no suffering, no one gets hurt or perhaps we think that God should have gone for option B and made robotic people who are just lifeless machines there's no feeling there's no pleasure there's no pain there's just metal this is another no risk option but God chooses to go for option C this is an extremely high risk alternative in option C God chooses to create highly intelligent spiritual beings like himself God creates free agents who can make real choices just like he can but the moment he gives these creatures true freedom he risks the possibility that they might choose to rebel and reject him now why on earth would God choose option C We wouldn't expect him to because he risks a world of pain if people rebel against himself and against each other. So why take the risk? What is to be gained by having free will? God's answer is genuine love. Now there is a direct link between free will and love. I discovered this personally in the summer of 1995 when I fell in love with a marine biologist called Julia Brown. But the whole thrill of it was that she chose to love me back. She could very easily have chosen not to. She could very easily have chosen somebody else. But she didn't. She chose me and that is why it was exciting. Robots can't fall in love. All we are saying here is we are saying that if God is powerful enough to stop suffering and then God chooses not to, then presumably there must be a reason. There must be a reason why, at least in God's opinion, it is worth allowing suffering. His reason is that He is love, therefore He wants there to be real love in the world, and because He wants real love, That means he's got to give us freedom of choice. Now here, somebody should jump in and interrupt. And quite rightly ask, now hang on a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. If God is all-powerful, he could still jump in and prevent tragedies, you know, like, for example, car accidents. But if God jumped in to prevent every accident, then everybody... Would drive as fast as possible straight down the middle of the road in the certain knowledge that they're never going to hit anything. So, you and I, we've at least got to think through the consequences of what exactly is it that we are asking God to do. Because every time that God does step in so that real choices don't have consequences, actually, He reduces our freedom until God's going to have to end up jumping in every other second and we're reduced to being robots all over again with no free will at all. But we still feel, as we're listening to this answer, that it's not good enough. And actually, as a matter of fact, this answer isn't good enough. There's a number of reasons why this answer isn't good enough. Firstly, because we're still hurting. Hey, I am not so foolish as to think that anything that I might say today will take away the pain. Secondly, we feel this answer isn't good enough because we still want to have a world without suffering. But surely what we're not saying is that the only deal that you and I would ever accept from God would be a world whereby... We have total freedom to do anything that we want in the certain knowledge that no one will ever suffer any of the consequences of our actions. Because if we said that, that would be exactly like holding a gun to God's head saying, God, the only thing that you could ever do to stop me from pulling the trigger right now would be to create a round square. Folks, not even God can create a round square. Not even God can create a world where we enjoy real freedom but with a certain knowledge that no one will ever suffer any of the consequences of our actions. And so much suffering is the result of human choice. We read about famine in Africa but then we change the channel and we discover that there's enough corn in the American state of Nebraska to feed every starving child in Africa. We read about violent crimes, murders and atrocities. All of these things are the result of human choice. And so, if you do accept that God has given people free will, it becomes easier to understand how human evil follows. Yeah, yeah, but we're still hurting, what is even harder for me to talk about are natural disasters. An event, for example, like the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami in Southeast Asia. Now here, an earthquake was to blame. Now, of course, I wouldn't say any of what I'm about to say to you to somebody who was struggling emotionally with the impact of maybe a bereavement as a result of an earthquake. But if you or I, if we were sent to the nearest library right now and we were sat down and we had to write a report on why the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami took place, the bottom line is that the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami took place because our planet is made up of absolutely massive tectonic plates that grate against each other. But if it were not for plate tectonics, none of us would be here. We would still have a water world without plate tectonics, the continents would never have formed. Now, I know that we all know this, but nevertheless, Inside the core of our planet is a vast amount of hot molten metal in the form of nickel and iron. It is that which makes our planet magnetic and that is really, really important because that is directly linked, the magnetism of our planet, to the Earth's atmosphere. If either of those things were even slightly different, there would be no possibility of any advanced organic life on the surface of our planet. Then we find that despite this vastly hot core, the Earth has a crust that is exactly the right depth that enables humans to live on the surface of our planet. But all this hot molten mesh, all this power that we've got to have has to escape, otherwise our planet would explode. The way it escapes is through cracks in the surface of our planet That result in earthquakes. Earthquakes therefore regulate the various competing forces that I've just mentioned, in order for human life to continue on the surface of our planet. Earthquakes actually regulate the competing forces. Scientists tell us you cannot have human life on the surface of our planet without earthquakes. Or As astronomer Dr. Hugh Ross of Toronto University puts it, if we do find advanced life on other planets, scientists predict that planet will also have plate tectonics. Secondly, plate tectonics are crucial for the preservation of life on Earth because of the burial of material. It's plate tectonics which removes the carbon dioxide and water from the Earth's atmosphere, which compensates for a massive problem that all of us have, which is the increasing luminosity of the sun. The fact that the sun is getting brighter and brighter. It's earthquakes that's keeping us from that problem. Thirdly, it turns out that the level of earthquake activity on Earth is finely tuned. It turns out that fewer or more earthquakes would set the whole balance of our planet off course. It turns out that the number of earthquakes we have and the size that they are turns out to be just right in order for humans to carry on living on the surface of our planet. Yeah, but we still wonder, come off it, couldn't God have done something to warn those people? that this enormous tidal wave was coming in from the sea? Well, in this particular case, believe it or not, the technology was available. There was already a tsunami warning system in place off the west coast of America. The world's richest nations could have foreseen the problem, could have clubbed together and given a tsunami warning system to the Southeast Asian nations but that decision was never taken. But hey, you know as well as I do there is absolutely no getting away from it. Natural disasters are appalling and they do leave us literally out loud shouting at our television screens why? And anybody who is not deeply moved by the scenes on the news must have a heart of stone. A second perspective on suffering is that God sometimes works through suffering to bring about good. When I was at school, I had a maths teacher who had been a tank commander in the Second World War, and his name was Mr. Russer. And Mr. Russer used to listen to my daily complaints during maths, and then he would just say to me almost every day, Holloway, life's tough, rough, and desperately unjust. But for some reason, people think that the Bible promises sweetness and light in this life. It doesn't. The Bible does not promise sweetness and light in this life. On the contrary, C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Numerous people become Christians as a result of suffering. I mean, clearly in those circumstances... At least from their point of view the pain is worth the gain because in their opinion 70 years of suffering on earth is outweighed by an eternity in paradise. Second perspective here is that it can bring us to maturity. Now what on earth do I mean by that? It can bring us to maturity. Well let's imagine for a moment that God kept Every teenager in the world, indoors, every Friday night, because God wanted to protect them from the pain of hangovers and broken hearts. If God did that, there would be a global riot. Because people all over the world are grateful for the freedom to be able to go out at the weekend. What am I saying? I'm saying that maybe equal doses of freedom and suffering are actually what's needed in order to bring us to a place where we're mature enough to enjoy life to the full. It's interesting to me that so many Christians have had their faith strengthened by suffering. For example, here's a photo of a lady who lives in Liverpool called G. Walker. I want to just take a moment to tell you the story of her 18-year-old son, Anthony. Ten years ago, Anthony Walker, who was a keen basketball player, living in Liverpool, was standing at a bus stop in Liverpool, a black young man with his white girlfriend. As he stood there, two white young men of the same age came up to him with an axe and chopped him to death with an ice pick because he was a black teenager with a white girlfriend. Now, this news story was obviously absolutely appalling But there were two particular reasons why it made front-page news again and again over successive days. The first of those two reasons is that one of the two men arrested for the crime, who's serving time in prison right now, is the brother of a very well-known premiership footballer. The second reason why it was such a massive story is because the following morning, G. Walker went on GMTV, which was the ITV flagship breakfast TV show, and publicly forgave the killers the very next morning. She Walker is a member of a church called Grace Community Church in Liverpool. Now, here is my question. She Walker's been a Christian for many years. She's been sitting in talks just like you're sitting in this talk. Somebody's standing at the front talking about the Christian response to the problem of suffering, and She Walker is nodding and agreeing. Yeah? Then, G. Walker experiences a level of suffering that few, if any of us, have personally experienced. Her 18-year-old son is chopped to death at the bus stop with an axe just because he's a black 18-year-old with a white girlfriend. G. Walker's just experienced a level of suffering that I can't even relate to. Here is my question. At this point... When G Walker is confronted with that kind of suffering, why doesn't she give up on Christianity? Why doesn't she say, obviously all that Christian response to suffering stuff doesn't work. When you're actually looking at the pool of blood and my son's severed body, obviously the Christian response doesn't work. Here's my question. If suffering really is such a knockout objection that it actually disproves the existence of the Christian God, why don't more Christians quit? Why does suffering so often seem to have the opposite effect? Here's a picture of Mrs. Walker with her daughter, Dominique, who's uh, become a police officer. And both of these women have publicly forgiven the killers. And they're a very big deal. In fact, if you're from Merseyside, you will know about these two. Let's have a look at a third aspect of this business about how God sometimes works through suffering. And that is to say that Christians are in the vanguard of the fight against suffering. I mean all I'm saying here is that Christians are so often a driving force in aid agencies which are fighting to relieve suffering all around the world and even a casual glance at the history books will show that this is the case. It was a Christian called William Wilberforce who took the lead living in South London working in Parliament in order to get slavery abolished in the British Empire and that was motivated by his conversion to evangelical christianity while in his 19 while in his 20s there was a christian called lord shaftesbury he was the guy who took the lead in getting rid of the scandal of child labor whether it's hospitals you study whether it's soup kitchens you study whether it's relief of the poor whether it's law reform whether it's peacemaking christians can justifiably claim to have done as much or possibly even more than anybody else in the fight against suffering Hey, that doesn't solve the problem. But it does show that Christians care, that Christians aren't dodging the issue, that we are rolling up our sleeves and taking responsibility to do something about suffering. Fourthly, on this point, we notice that we won't always see what God is up to. Let me just take an example from childhood. When I was a child... I genuinely thought that the dentist's was a torture chamber. I thought that for good reasons. I was forced to go to this building by my parents against my will. Then I was forced to go into this scary room where there was a man in a white coat who drilled it into my body and they literally had to hold me down in the chair and it seemed to me that the more I screamed with pain the more he was enjoying it. Now, I had absolutely no idea that the pain was worth the gain. Why? Because I had a child's perspective on pain. Now, just try this one on for size just for 10 seconds, then immediately forget what I've said, okay? What if at least sometimes we're like the child and sometimes God is like the dentist? For all we know, a loving God might allow at least some suffering because he's actually doing us a favor. I mean, life can be like that, can't it? At least I know that there have been times when I've gone through hard things only to realize sometimes many years later that I have learned something good through it. Okay, third of our four points this morning is that God is not immune from suffering that God suffers also. Hey, I wouldn't want anybody here to get the impression that somehow Christians are trying to get God off the hook for suffering. Because the fact is that God put himself on the hook, God put himself on the cross. Have you ever heard the poem The Long Silence? It goes like this. At the end of time, Billions of people were standing scattered on a vast plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light in front of them. But some groups near the front talked heatedly. Not with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can God know about suffering? Snapped a young girl. And she ripped open her sleeve to show a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror. Beatings, death, she said. In another group, a young man lowered his collar. He said, what about this, he asked, showing an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime except being black. Elsewhere, in another crowd, a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer, she said. It wasn't my fault far out across the plain there were hundreds of such groups each one had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering that he had permitted in his world how lucky God was to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light where there was no hunger or fear or hatred what did God know about all that man had been forced to endure in this world for God leads a pretty sheltered life they said so each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he or she had suffered most. A Jew. Someone from Hiroshima. A horribly deformed arthritic. A thalidomide child. And in the center of the plane they consulted with each other and at last, they were ready to present their case. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew, they said. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work that's so hard to do that when he tries to do it, even his family will think that he's out of his mind. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends, Let him face false charges. Let him be tried by a prejudiced jury. Let him be convicted by a cowardly judge. Then let him be tortured. Let him be flogged. Let him be scourged with a whip. And then let him be mocked. Let him be spat at. Let him be totally alone. Let him be deserted. And then in extreme agony let him die. They said. And as each member As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval came up from among the throng of people assembled, and when the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word, no one moved, for suddenly all knew that God had already served his sentence. The Christian answer to suffering is a person. It's not really an answer as such. It's a person. Sometimes words aren't enough. If I am suffering, a 25-minute talk is not what I'm looking for because I have a personal problem, therefore I need a personal answer. But as it happens, God is a someone... And he's not a something. In that sense, when we think of the worst moments of our lives, Jesus has been there. Are you broken? Jesus was broken on the cross. Are you rejected by your friends? Jesus was rejected by his friends. Are you hated for no good reason? Jesus was hated for no good reason. And when we cry out and we complain i can't take it anymore we can think of jesus on the cross crying out my god my god why have you abandoned me jesus is more than an explanation jesus is a person and hey if my wife and four kids die in a car crash next week I don't know if I will ever find in this life an adequate explanation for what just happened. But I do believe that God has left me with something that's better than an explanation. God has left me with Jesus. And maybe you're here today and when all is said and done, something evil has happened to you. And I know that nothing that has been said today will take away the pain. I also know it's true that something evil happened on a hill outside Jerusalem in about 33 AD when Jesus was murdered. But God brought something beautiful out of that. God allowed the suffering of his own son because he knew that through that something wonderful could be achieved. At the time, Jesus' disciples thought it was a disaster their hero had been executed, all of their hopes and dreams were in tatters. They had absolutely no idea that through dying on the cross Jesus was actually solving the biggest problem that they had, the problem of sin. A fourth and final perspective very briefly on this subject is that God more than compensates for our suffering. Can any of us really begin to imagine how wonderful 70 million years of ecstasy will be? Can any of us really imagine a life where every day is better than the one before? To which somebody might reply, yeah, but we could never know what is beyond death. Which, of course, the response is, yeah, we could never know what's beyond death unless somebody who was dead came back to tell us. And that is exactly what the historical evidence suggests happens to Jesus of Nazareth. Well, there we are. There are four perspectives on suffering. And at the end of this talk, somebody says, Adrian, thanks, but it is just not good enough. Okay. As it happens, I agree with you. This is not good enough. I'm not even pretending that I understand the pain that you may have gone through. But it does seem to me that on at least one day in human history I can see how a God of love could have allowed suffering on that one day when Jesus died firstly we see the results of human freedom you see it was human decisions that put Jesus on the cross the Sanhedrin deliberately denied Jesus a fair trial Pontius Pilate had Jesus flogged and crucified so we see in the results of that evil decision we see human freedom and evil decisions happening at exactly the same time secondly on that day the day that Jesus died we see God working through suffering you see while Jesus was dying God seemed to have deserted Jesus but actually everything that happened that day on the day that Jesus died was planned by God centuries before. In the Old Testament, a book which was finished 400 years before Jesus was even born, it's predicted that, firstly, the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend, Judas. That's Psalm 41, verse 9. Secondly, that the Messiah will be struck and spat upon. That's Isaiah 50, verse 6. It was predicted what price Judas would receive. How much money Judas would get to betray Jesus, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. That's predicted in Zechariah 11 verse 12. The following verse, Zechariah 11:13, 13, tells us there's a prediction as to what happens to the money that was used to betray Jesus. That it was thrown into the house of the Lord and that the same money was used to buy a potter's field. In Psalm 22 verse 7, it's predicted that the soldiers at the foot of the cross would cast lots to see who gets Jesus' clothing. My point is that the suffering was real, the injustice was real, but it was all, all planned at least 400 years before. Jesus fulfilled 29 Old Testament predictions in a single day on the day that he died on that one day at least God was working through suffering penultimately on the cross we see that God is not immune from suffering that he suffered too hey I think that this point is the most helpful point of all if Christianity is true then the God who really exists can relate to what I'm going through I think I can respect a God who saw how bad the drama of human suffering really was and decided as a result to jump in and suffer with us. Lastly on the cross, we see that God more than compensates for our suffering. And could it be that one day, from your vantage point in heaven, you will look back and you say, you know what, actually now I've been here for 74 million years, I think, Now I'd say, yeah, it was worth it. Could it be that one day you will look back through all the pain, through all the hurts, through all the relational breakups, through all the physical pain, could it be that you'll look back that day and you will say from your place in heaven, you know what? I think God has more than compensated for my suffering. Here's my final sentence. In conclusion, We don't have a God who just watches us suffer impassively with his arms folded. No, we have a God who saw how bad it was and chose to dive in and suffer with us. In conclusion, we have a suffering God. We have a crucified God. Thank you so much for your attention. You've been very patient. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. We are going to finish bang on half past, that's 21 minutes from now. We're going to stop then. I'd love to take some questions. If you'd like to quietly make your way to the microphones, I will take any questions and give it my best shot at saying something sensible in response. Hello, would you like to go ahead and ask a question? Thank you so if how do we forgive someone who has made us suffer so if someone has killed our mother for example that's very extreme but um, and um not related to this topic how do we handle being nervous um for example if we're going to university or college um how do we um how we cope with how do we cope with that Yeah, those are two good questions. Thank you very much. Can I just deal with your first question? I mean, one thing you could do is you could contact uh, Grace Community Church in Liverpool and you could ask G. Walker, and in fact you could actually Google her name uh, on your phone and you'll find loads of interviews with her and you'll see that she would say that she feels like she has received so much forgiveness from God that she's actually got some forgiveness to give away. And secondly, she would say that if she were to decide to hold on to the feelings of bitterness, that actually that would poison her own life and the life of her family, so it wouldn't actually help her. Now, there is an awful lot more to it than that, and I've not been through what she's been through. But I would really encourage you to to check your phone and and Google that answer. Why don't you go ahead? I was wondering, if God has a plan for us, and he knows what we're going to do in the future, um, as he's all-knowing, how can we truly have free will just because we might have the idea that we're free but actually really god's got a plan for us so so we don't really have free will You get okay this is a question about how can god know the future and we also have free will at the same time i'm going to give the briefest answer i can here in order to give everybody a chance it must be the case that god's perspective on things is different from us for example I can't actually conceive of a time when nothing exists where there is no physical universe but we know the universe began to exist God is able to think of a time where nothing existed where he existed in Trinity God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit I can't imagine how that could work therefore it must be that if God exists outside of time and space there are some things that he can make sense of that we can't make sense of therefore on that scenario it might be that god is genuinely able to not only know the future but also genuinely give us freedom of choice and if we were god we would understand how those two things could be held in tension and that dilemma that you're highlighting very helpfully with your question is something that every time it is talked about in the bible is always spoken about positively and i think we can learn from that it's a great question how about you what's your question over here uh, why, didn't, uh, why didn't God create the world so that no, dis- no natural disasters could like, occur? Why didn't God create the world so that there were no natural disasters? Well, thank you for answering that question. I tried to touch on that in the talk and what I was trying to say when I was ar- talking about earthquakes is that those natural disasters which are so appalling actually do play a beneficial role in terms of the continued existence of humanity on Earth. So, could I use an analogy that you might find helpful? I like to think of our planet a bit like a laptop. A laptop is not the most powerful computer that you and I could find. It's not the biggest or the quickest. It's a compromise. It's a compromise between capacity, speed, and portability. Now, I think our planet is a compromise... I think that God's trying to achieve lots of different things from all kinds of different angles and he's come up with what, in my opinion, is an absolutely superb compromise. A system that works for the benefit of the majority of people but then God has this extra dimension that quite honestly we can't get our heads around. God deliberately allows at least some suffering. Why? Because presumably he must think that there's something, some moral good that comes out of it that we can't see and can I just say to all of you guys this might be if you're struggling with this question this could be a missing ingredient let me see if I can explain what I mean there's a spectrum of suffering God could have allowed much more suffering in the world than he has or God could have allowed much less suffering in the world than he actually has but for whatever reason God chooses to set the suffering bar just here and quite honestly If I was God, I might well allow less suffering in this world than God does. If you were God, you would probably choose to allow less suffering in this world than the actual God of the Bible does. Now why would that be? Could it be because I have got a different goal and objective to God? I would like to maximize happiness in this life for the greatest number of people. According to the Bible, that is not God's ultimate aim. God's ultimate aim is to create the conditions whereby the greatest number of people will freely choose to love him and be with him forever in heaven. God's goal is to get the greatest number of people freely choosing him and enjoying him forever in heaven, whereas my goal would be to maximize human happiness on earth. And it could well be that God has set the bar of suffering higher than I would because he actually knows that where the suffering bar is raised more people freely choose him here's the big mystery to me when we look at those places in the world where there is most suffering south of the equator in sub-saharan Africa in Asia south of the equator Christianity is skyrocketing in many parts of the world south of the equator the number of people becoming Christians exceeds the birth rate When Chairman Mao took over the Republic of China and and imposed persecution on the Christians, the number of Christians went up and not down. Some people have suggested that Chairman Mao was the most successful evangelist in history. 100 million Christians today in China. So, it's hard for us to imagine that maybe God has got morally sufficient reasons for allowing so much suffering in this life. His morally sufficient reason is that he wants our best... He wants us to go to heaven. And he knows that if there was less suffering, hey, look elsewhere in the world. Look in Scandinavia. Look at Norway and Sweden. And the places where the standard of living is highest, that's where you'll find the most atheists. The most atheistic nations in the world are those kind of places where there's the least suffering in this life. Where there's more suffering, people freely choose them, are often places which we would say there's more suffering from our point of view. I know that's hard for us to take, But maybe that's how God looks at it. I don't know. Very long answer to your question. Sorry, I kept you going a long time. You ask your question. Go ahead. What advice would you give to people that feel like they want to change their religion because they feel like God doesn't deal with sufferings? Oh, that's a great question. What would I do or what would I say to someone who says they want to change their religion because the Christian religion doesn't deal well enough with suffering? I would ask them, what do those other alternative religions teach about suffering? The very fact that they're considering changing their religion and going for one of those others already tells me that they perhaps have not looked carefully enough into what those other religions teach. Let's just take one or two. Hinduism teaches that every single disabled person on this campsite is paying for sins that they have committed in a previous life that's the teaching of Hinduism and whenever that I mean lots of people in the in the West are romantically drawn to the mysteries of India and reincarnation but in the late 1990s when the England football team coach Glenn Hoddle said in an interview in the Times that disabled people are paying for the sins that they committed in a previous life which is a standard normal Hindu teaching there's nothing controversial about it it's a basic thing that's been believed in India for 2000 years people in this country were so outraged that he had to resign from being the England football team manager the reality is that people in the west cannot accept the Hindu view of suffering which is that sick, unfortunate disabled and disadvantaged people are paying justifiably for sins they committed in a previous life so the Hindu view of suffering is unacceptable there are other views of suffering other religions teach that suffering is an illusion like Buddhism I don't think that's going to fly. If I'm telling my friend who's suffering that actually it's an illusion, I think that's going to work. If you were here yesterday, you'll already have heard the Islam, Islamic perspective on suffering, which is fatalism, which is there's no point in jumping in and alleviating what's happening because Allah wills it. In my opinion, one of the reasons I am a Christian is because the Christian response to suffering, if you think, if, if, I'm, if I'm drowning in a sea of suffering... And I'm looking up at all the founders of the world religions. I've got Confucius up there. I've got Muhammad up there. I've got Guantanamo, the Buddha up there. And all these people are giving me advice about how to save myself. The thing I love about Christianity is that Jesus is the only one of those blokes up there who dives off the cliff to save me. And loses his life in the process. So I think you should encourage your friend to look in at the other religions. Great question. Yeah, do you want to go for it? Uh, hi, uh, uh, I apologise for the short amount of time to unpack the uh, questions. Um, but uh, where do you stand on the perspective that God doesn't just allow suffering, but actually intentionally wills it in some cases, such as presented in uh, the cross of Jesus? Yeah, I, think, uh, I thank you for your question, which is a, a good question to ask, because a lot of people will object to the fact that, yes, the Bible does clearly say. Um, think about um, Joseph. Joseph remember he had all those brothers and they sold him into slavery did God really will that he should end up in that pit well we know in Genesis chapter 50 that looking back on his life when Joseph's the prime minister of Egypt and he's producing all this grain and he's rationing it all out to save the Jewish nation so that Jesus can be born he says you intended to harm me but God meant it for good in fact one of the songs we're singing at this event has that line in it you intended to harm me you brothers you meant to harm me you meant to hurt me but God meant it for good and just like you said in your question the cross of Christ must be another example where yes it seems that God does allow suffering God does know what's happening he does allow suffering he certainly allows the martyrdom of the first Christians. And so there are examples of God allowing suffering. Which I know it's hard for people to take, hard for me to take, but it's definitely true. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. However, is it possible that God can still be good and God has some morally sufficient purpose to allow suffering? I think the answer is yes. Good question. How about you? What did you want to ask? I wonder want, I want of... How long are we going to wait until Jesus rises to deliver us from the pain and suffering? Well, that is one of the greatest questions of all time and the truth is I've absolutely no idea because the Bible specifically says that we won't know how long it will be until Jesus comes back. But, helpfully, the Bible does give us some indications of things that will have happened by the time that he does come back. So, in the New Testament... Jesus says that the gospel must first be preached to all nations and we know right now that not all nations and not every language group has heard the Christian gospel so that's at least one thing that will happen before Jesus comes back and that's why new day exists to try and send people to parts of the world where they don't have the bible in their language so they can hear about Jesus great question do you want to ask your question Go for it. Um, how do we say this? Um, so what you said in this seminar to our friends um, about suffering, um, in a, like a short couple of sentences? <laughs> what a brilliant question! I'm so glad you came forward and asked that. How could we sort of condense this seminar into a few sentences? I would say one thing you could say in response to the question, how could a good God allow suffering, is you could say, I don't know, it's a big problem, all I could say is I can think of at least one day in history where I could see how a good God could allow suffering, and that was the day that Jesus died. And then you can talk a little bit about Jesus' suffering and say that something good happened through it. That could take you about 60 seconds. Really good question. Yeah, over here. Firstly, thank you very much for doing the tough questions series, very helpful. Um... With your point that you made about the earthquakes and um, all these other natural processes that are required for us to live on Earth, which I agree with, just wondering, what would you say about then Were these processes also there before the fall? Were the natural disasters also there before the fall? Uh, This is a really good question. It's all to do with the age of the Earth and the creation controversy, the young Earth creationist controversy. Um, My own view is I wouldn't view all of those so-called natural disasters I wouldn't view all of them as evil I wouldn't necessarily view all of these things as evil in and of themselves because I believe they play a good and beneficial role the key question the key part of your question the controversial bit of your question is all to do with a big question which is was there animal death before the fall this isn't something that particularly bothers me but I know that there are some Christians who are really concerned with that question my own view is that the New Testament teaches that it was human death that started at the fall and not animal death I personally think that animals died before Adam and Eve sinned I realise that that's massively controversial there'll be some people that totally disagree with me but that's my view and I may be wrong but that's what I think Okay, over here, go for it so what what prayers can God pay for um, for letting this happen for letting people for, for letting people suffer what price did God pay for letting people suffer excellent question God's price that God paid was he decided to allow the most precious person the biggest deal in his existence his darling son to go to the cross and to die a death that he didn't deserve. The reason why that's such a big price is because Jesus is the only person who's ever lived who actually didn't deserve to die. He'd never sinned. He'd never did anything wrong. And yet, the Bible teaches that God allowed him to die. That was the price that God paid. Excellent question. Yeah, do you want to go for it? Yeah, why does God allow infectious diseases in young children? Why does God allow infectious diseases in young children? This is an excellent question and could be multiplied to a whole host of other questions, all of which are to do with the origin of sickness, to do with various different types of natural disaster, tornadoes, and so on and so forth. What I'd like to recommend is that when the seminar finishes in five minutes you meet me down here and I'll direct you towards a guy called Rich Deem D-E-E-M he has a web page where he has catalogued every single one of the various natural disasters and also different diseases and has tried to show what role some of these show a play in human nature but can I just say this in relation to sickness And just stay with me for this 60 seconds. In the New Testament, there is a distinction between suffering and sickness, which is not obvious to us because we speak English. In the English language, if I've got a broken leg, if I've got a headache, I might say I'm suffering. And you will understand I'm talking about sickness. In the New Testament, you would use different words for those two things. And whereas there's absolutely no doubt that suffering is something that God fully expects Christians to go through for example he tells his disciples if you follow me basically you're going to get martyred and that was quite an accurate prediction because 10 of the 12 did get martyred he doesn't go around saying that God's best plan for you is that you should be sick Jesus doesn't teach that actually what God's will is is God wants you to be ill that isn't his teaching so it does seem that at before when adam and eve sin it does seem that at that time sickness comes into the world and that was one of the things that jesus was trying to combat as he went around pushing sickness back and trying to heal people i mean you've asked a great question come come and find me in a minute we've got three minutes left yeah let's have you guys go for it one minute each do you think suffering is part of god's plan to test our faith do i think that suffering is part of god's plan to test our faith generally speaking I think no generally speaking when I come across people who think God's just trying to test us or they say this life is a test I feel nervous because I don't think that's the main thing the New Testament teaches could it be that there is a situation where God is allowing suffering because it is a test well quite possibly yes if you were to ask me a different question and say what about Paul's thorn in the flesh some of you will know that in the New Testament the Apostle Paul has a thorn in the flesh that he asks God to take away from him and then eventually he accepts it as being from God sometimes Christians ask that question whilst it's possible that that could have been a physical thing the vast majority of scholars think that it was not a physical pain that it was a situation or a person like a pain in the neck a thorn in the flesh is like you and I would say Oh, mate, that bloke over there, he's a pain in the neck. That that's the way they use that phrase. Let's just have the other two questions. Um, Thanks very much. Go for it. Um, It says that, like, obviously, it states in the Bible how much suffering Jesus went through and different sorts of suffering that he went through. But um, how is a person who goes through the suffering that isn't stated Yes. that he went through, yeah. how are they meant to deal yeah. with the differentiation between Jesus yes. hasn't experienced what I have? Yeah, that, this is a really good question. I'm going to finish on this one. Apologies to everybody else. I'm going to do this in 30 seconds. I'm going to close. You've asked a great question, which is, hang on a minute, Jesus' suffering on the cross, okay, it was a lot of physical suffering, yeah? But it was actually quite short. I mean, how long was he on the cross for? Six hours? I mean, that's that's a long time but it's not like two years or five years or ten years or twenty years and the answer must be that somehow because Jesus is in a different moral category to other people who suffer we can't really imagine a perfect person you and I have never met one apart from Jesus that somehow his suffering was in a different category because he didn't deserve to suffer at all and all we can do is read the New Testament and see that even Jesus asked your question jesus asked your question from the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me jesus struggled with this issue like we do he asked the question but god was faithful brought him through the other side and now jesus is in glory he's in heaven he's enjoying fellowship with his father face to face and bringing suffering people to himself and for that we thank him I'm going to come and stand here at the front for probably about half an hour take questions one on one you've been very patient come and ask me anything you want God bless you have a great lunch time thanks very much